Well, to be honest with you, after Jenny's interview, I feel uh, I've got some, an uphill task because, I mean, that's really, that's what it's all about. It's about getting to know Jesus and the, the wonder of him, the glory of him and as a personal savior. God bless you. Okay, my name is Chris Lane. It's, it's good to see you. Uh, as first said, we've been away on sabbatical for three months. We've spent half the time at home and half the time traveling, and I want to say thank you to the board of directors, the staff, uh, our leaders, and of course yourselves for allowing us the opportunity after so many years to just take that time off. It took a little while to get used to it, but it has been a wonderful experience, and uh, and I've determined not to sort of gush it all out in the first week or two. I'm going to let it just sort of seep out as time goes on, but I'll make reference at various points, not least this morning, to the various insights that I feel the the Holy Spirit has, has just taken me aside to, to show me. But let's just pray and then we'll get straight into the word. Father, we want to say thank you to you because uh, it was your idea, this thing we call church. It was your idea. It was out of your heart that you, through your son Jesus, laid down your life that we might have life. And it was always your intent to pour out your Holy Spirit on the church to make Jesus real to us and real to the world. So I pray now, Lord God, that I would not hinder you and your work this morning in any way. I pray now that by your spirit, you would stir up your spirit within us, and that deep would speak to deep, and that, Lord, I would somehow communicate the grace, the mercy, the love, the wonders of your name as I I share out of your word this morning. And everyone said, Amen. Okay, well, uh, I uh, finished my uh, last duty here, which was a board meeting, actually a particularly long one, didn't finish until about 11.30 with our financial directors. And then uh, very early on Tuesday morning, early in June, I got on a plane and went out to Israel. I'd never been to Israel. I'm uh, no disrespect. I'm not a great Israel junkie or not fascinated by the Jeshua and all this kind of thing, but I felt it was time I went and wanted to go. And so got on a plane, and uh, while I was uh, there, you know, a number of things happened. And uh, and then uh, in the middle of the um, time away, I, we went to France, had a bit of holiday, and then most of August we've been traveling uh, in the States. We have family out there, but also we attended Chicago, Illinois, and went to the Leadership Summit there, and then spent the last week in Boise, Idaho, at the Vineyard Church there on a, on a cowboy ranch, believe it or not. And I'm not kidding you, a real one. It was quite something. So very rich and varied time. But one of the things that I've been able to do, and I, uh, you may think me a bit weird, but I actually like going to church. It's something I do. My wife doesn't share that passion, but uh, I like going to church. And I've been to 11 different church services while I've been away. And I've been to everything from Armenian Orthodox churches, uh, uh, extraordinary and wonderful and mysterious, uh, to, to Pentecostal gatherings. And I won't say any more about that, but, but wonderful. And every, all points in between, you know. But I took this photograph, if we can have that first image up, in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and the place is teeming with people. And the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, many of you will know this, is the main church in Jerusalem itself. And uh, it's an extraordinary place. In the one building, uh, we have Golgotha, we have uh, the prison where Jesus was held, we have the garden, uh, the tomb where he was buried, a whole host of things. And 
And I must say, to some degree, it stretched my credulity, but but this is not about uh, credulity. This is about, fa- this is about faith. And I, I just realized that that was it. And it was a, a very extraordinary experience. But this was, I just looked up and saw the sun coming in. And that little dome you see is, is the top of the actual, the official tomb uh, where, where Jesus was supposed to be buried. And, uh, and I was just caught by, by that image. And, and it is full of wonders. I spent the first three or four days up in Galilee, and that was a wonderful experience, but I came down to Jerusalem for Pentecost weekend. It was crazy, it was dramatic, it was dynamic, it was full and literally heaving with people. Uh, And there are so many things to see, and and whereas I'd been up in in Galilee, and and I I think I can say that I I had something that was a little bit more akin to a retreat. You know, I spent time on my own with the Lord, reading the Word, reflecting upon where Chris is in terms of his walk with Jesus. But when you come down into Jerusalem, it's quite difficult to be quiet, and you become a pilgrim, seeing the sights, doing everything. And I believe me, I try to do them all. So here we are. We're in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and the following day, I went up to the Mount of Olives, caught the 75 bus, which I was told what you need to do, to the top of the Mount of Olives and started to walk all the way down. And that was a wonderful experience. Again, hundreds and hundreds of pilgrims. And I'm looking at this, and I'm looking at that, and I'm taking pictures of this, and I'm making sure I don't miss that, because God forbid that I should miss some sort of shrine or tomb or something. And suddenly, to my right, there opens up a, a, a kind of shrine underground. It's a large area. And I was surrounded by um, Eastern European Christians. I actually went on my own uh, on the whole trip. I didn't go with a tour. I was on my own and hired a car. And so that was, had many strengths to it. But I, I, I suddenly found myself in the middle of this mob of Eastern European uh, folk. And they were all making a beeline for this, uh, this underground tomb, which turned out to be the uh, supposed burial site of Mary. And... Uh, as we're about, to, there's a kind of a courtyard before you actually go down this long flight of steps. It's a subterranean thing, literally underground. And, and lots of people are jostling around the entrance. And, and for some reason, my attention was, was grabbed by two enormous great fellows. They looked like, they looked like, you know, a rugby scrum. They were big guys, big Eastern European guys. And I've looked at a photograph. I'm going to show you a photograph in just a moment. They don't look quite as menacing as I felt in their presence outside the door. And they were smoking, and they had, they, they were quite well, uh, not only were they, they, they large guys, but they were quite, um, uh, you know, they had nice bits of jewelry on, and they were quite loud, and their wives were quite glitzy. And I, I, I just was struck by them. And I suddenly felt, rightly or wrongly, um, that, that they were actually mafiosa. They were, uh, I felt that they, there was something sinister and a confidence and an arrogance about them that conveyed a sense of, you know, that they were men who knew how to get their way. Make of that what you will. So we walked down these long steps down to these subterranean things, very dark, quite dingy. And we get to the bottom, and their wives go on. They've got a beeline. They've got a, they're on a mission. But there's this kind of a shrine that opens up to the right. 
And I just turned around to get a photograph of the steps, and these guys were behind me. And I saw them turn and look to this shrine, and I just want to show you that photograph. I don't know whether this is going to communicate at all, but these two fellows here, you know, these bottom right corner, those are the guys I'm talking about. And I saw their faces. Can you see their faces? And all this bravado, and that's what it was, that had been at the top of the stairs, when they came down into this thing, they turned and something caught them. And on their faces, I, I see, I don't know what you see, you may just see two fellows, but I saw, I saw regret, I saw longing, I saw an ache for something that wasn't their life. And it hit me like a train. From that day on, I was there for another couple of days, I, I, I found myself watching pilgrims and taking photographs of pilgrims, not so much the guilt and all the rest of it. But as I, as I was reflecting about that, I, I was again in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. We'll go back to that first image again, Matt. I came out of there, and uh, on the second time I visited there, and as I came out of there, I, I turned to look at people coming out of me, uh, coming out of, the, out of the church. And they were hot, and they were frazzled, and they were laden down with plastic carrier bags, filled with souvenirs and snow globes of Jesus and olive crosses and bits of tat and bits of this. And they were desperate for a cup of tea. And, the, you know, there weren't too many children, but they were all frazzled. And they just looked cross and fed up on all the rest of it. And I was watching them, and I just felt a tremendous sense of compassion for them. And then suddenly the Lord spoke to me very, very clearly out of Psalm 16. Thanks, Matt. As for the saints in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. As for the saints in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. You see, we were all traipsing around looking at all these very wonderful things. But God's eye was upon the people, the pilgrims, that thing he'd begun to show me in that subterranean thing in those two gangsters' eyes. God, his treasure, his delight, the apple of his eye is you. And they weren't all that pretty. They were prickly. They weren't looking holy and at their best. They were days into pilgrimage and they were tired and they were weary and they were fractious and they were irritable and all the rest of it just like you and I sometimes get you do get like that sometimes don't you and it was in that moment not with their shiny best at some wedding or some wonderful event it was in that moment the Lord chose to say to me as for the people in the land these in, in them is all my delight and then following on from that, the Lord just said to me, gave me a little phrase, uh, and I've worked it a little bit, admittedly. It was a little simpler when he spoke this, but in essence, I felt that God said, God the Father is going to glorify Jesus the Son in, through the power of the Holy Spirit in the local church. 
as, as a confirmed local church pastor, as someone, my wife and I, you know, we, our early life, we, we did very well in business and all the rest of it, but uh, for the last 25, 30 years, we've been working as local church pastors. I'm a confirmed local church man. <laughs> but I've had a further, if you like, revelation of the fact that God is profoundly committed to the local church. And he is determined to glorify his son Jesus through the local church. Now, I, I, you know, like you, I, I look at, you know, you know, great celebrities like, you know, Cliff Richard. Or you too. I, I look at, you know, these, these guys who are, you know, out there. And, you know, there's, there's, I've been told this week there's 16 born-again Christian politicians in Parliament or something or more or something like that. But... but you tend to look at these people and think, yeah, well, they're a good ambassador. And we use that word, ambassador for the faith. And, and so they are, I'm, I'm sure. But, you know, that's not God's answer. That's not how God is going to glorify Jesus. He is going to glorify his son Jesus through the local church, through vineyard, through the local church. He is absolutely determined to do that because we are the apple of his eye. We are, we are his passion. He loves us as we've sung, as we've sung this morning, and is profoundly moved by you and your struggle and my struggles and my attempts and your attempts to be Christians. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that thrilling and exciting. I also find it challenging. <laughs> Well, flip, you know, does he really know what the local church is like? You know? And he does, more than I do. And, you know, I'm pretty much at the coalface of it. But he knows that. And he still says, I am determined to glorify my son Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit through the local church. It's going to happen. It has begun. And it is going to continue to happen. Well, at this point, I have to revert to Scripture. And we're going to spend the next 10, 15 minutes, a little pushed for... I don't like saying this. I've been told not to say this, but I feel a bit of time pressure this morning. But uh, let's look at this. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. And this is, we believe, for argument's sake, not entirely sure, but we believe, because it says so in the Scripture, this was written by Paul, so we'll say it was written by Paul. Looking at verse 14, and Paul begins the little passage we're going to read now by saying, for this reason. What reason is that? Well, that reason is that basically what I've just been saying to you, sort of off the top of my head. In the previous verses, Paul says, God is determined to glorify his son Jesus through the local church in the power of the Holy Spirit for this reason. For this reason, Paul says, I get on my knees and I pray. Wow. Let's just read the passage and I'll make some observations. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Not our measure, 
not our capacity, but fill to the, the fullness of the measure of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You know, just as I began my sabbatical, Nina Burns, one of our, our um, I'm going to embarrass her, this is entirely counterculture for her, but one of our more talented prophetic voices in the church sent me an email. She said, I've been praying for you, and she listed a number of things, and she said, during this time, I, I, uh, I'm praying that this will be what, what God works in the church, and it was this very passage. Now, guess when I read that email this morning? I actually was given the email as I left the office, and I've put it in my work case, and I haven't picked up my work case until this morning, so apologies, Nina. I, I do read your prophetic work, but I miss this one. But isn't it extraordinary? Uh, I was in Illinois uh, 10 days ago. I was watching the sun come up, sitting on this ranch, this porch, watching, uh, watching the sun come over this wonderful rolling prairie land, absolutely gobsmackingly, stunningly beautiful. And I wrote down several pages in my journal, which was an attempt to summarize my thoughts of things I'd been reminded of or learnt, things for myself and things for the church. And the thing I wrote down for the church was this passage. So even though I, rather remiss of me, I know, but before, even though I missed the prophetic word at the beginning of the time, I, I got there in the end and was delighted to have it confirmed this morning. So this passage, I really believe, is pretty much the heart for Vineyard at the moment. And I invite you to take this away as a bit of homework, and maybe over the next two or three months, as we talk about a number of things, you know, use this as a bit of a lens and a grid, and, and may it inform your prayers. But let's just summarize some of the, 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 the aspirations, the hopes that Paul has for the church, and, and indeed for ours. The first thing is that we have to say that he's praying that in verse, uh, verse 16, that God will strengthen you with power through his spirit. God will strengthen us. Uh, I've read a number of books this summer and been struck by a little, it's a detail, but I think it's an important one. Uh, and that's that Bill Johnson, the pastor of, Revel, uh, of Bethel Church in, in Redding, California, talks about you know, praying that, that God would stir up the spirit that is with, already within us. Uh, this, is, this is a place where God is. I mean, I, I must say this is extraordinary. This is an old warehouse. I've been to 11 churches. I've come here, and I sense God's presence here, as I hope you do. God is in the house. He's in this place. He's in this community we call Vineyard. And, and we've covered much ground together. We've laughed a lot. We've wept a lot. We've faced many challenges, of course. But at the same time, I, I sense in myself, and if it's true of me, it may be true of you too, that there's a little bit of me that's asleep. I want to wake up. The Lord seems to speak very powerfully to my wife about waking up. Awake my soul, as the psalmist says. Awake my soul. And I want to wake up to what God has in store for us now and in the days to come. And I want us as a people to wake up. I want our worship, not, 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 not necessarily what the band does. The band does a great job. But what we do to be more intense and purposeful and focused and expressive of, of, of our love and praise and worship of God. I, I want our... Our community work, our, our, our compassion ministries, our teaching ministry, our pastoral ministry, our children's ministry, all to have an intensity that only God himself can bring. So my prayer is that God would strengthen us, stir up that spirit within us. 
The second thing is, talks about longevity. Paul prays that in verse 17, first part. He says that, he says that may Christ dwell in our hearts. It's not just, oh, let's have a bit of a, a big push, you know, a couple of months of intense activity. May God dwell within us. May he take up his home inside us and in this community. May God be resident within us. Second part of verse 17, may we be rooted and actually established. I'm no gardener, but I planted a, what do they call it, a clematis just before I went away to the States. It was a little bit rash, really, because I couldn't tend for it to it. So I, I, I put it in, I rooted it, I put compost and all the rest of it, hoping against hope that it would survive, and it has. It's one thing to plant something but what's crucial is that it becomes established. And I'm delighted to report that my clematis, or clematis, how do you pronounce it? Clematis, thank you, has survived my absence of a month. And, uh, and Paul prays for the church, and I pray for this church, and we pray for this church, that we'll become rooted in God's word, rooted in the work of his Holy Spirit, rooted in the adoration of Jesus. This is all about Jesus. All of that but that we will become established. It will begin to flourish in all of that. And Paul's prayer, in the light of God's desire to glorify his son Jesus through the local church, is that we become rooted and established. Verse 18, he says, May we grasp how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of God. Do you know, in order to grasp the things of the Spirit, we do need God's help. We need to pray for revelation. Um, this is something I, I, I often teach and say, but we actually need God to, to take us to a new level. A bit like my, you know, here we are, lo confirmed local church pastor saying, guess what, you know, God wants to glorify his son Jesus through the local church. You may go, well, did it take you three months to get that, Chris? Heck, you know, well, yes, it did, but yeah, I knew something about it before, but I, I want to grasp this. I want to say to Father, I want to say, Father, okay, I think I hear what you're saying. Now, now tell me again. Tell me again. What's on your heart? Tell me again. And I invite every single one of you, wherever you are on your spiritual journey, to go back to God, get on your face, and say, tell me again. Now, what was it? You know, all the things we think we know, maybe there's more. Jeremiah 33, 3, cry out to me, and I will show you those deep and unsearchable things that you do not know. There are deep and unsearchable things that you do not know, that God wants to tell you, you, not just the leaders of the church, but you, call out to me and I will show you deep and unsearchable things that you do not know. We want to grasp what it is that God has in mind. So then we begin to fall in line with his passion and his priorities. Uh, verse 19, no, he says, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. How can you know a love that surpasses knowledge? It's, it's an oxymoron, isn't it? It's nonsense, isn't it? Well, it's more than head, it's faith. Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. Lord, exercise our faith. Galatians 5.2 says, What matters is faith working itself out in love. You know, I went to this uh, Californian mission, a Catholic Franciscan mission, and went through a, a mass there. There was this Portuguese Francescan monk doing the sermon. I could not understand a word of his English. 
I, I just didn't get it. I sat there the whole time trying to understand and couldn't understand a single word, but suddenly a phrase came out. It's the only phrase I heard, and it was this. Love isn't love until it's given away. Love isn't love until it's given away. I say I love Jesus, but do I give that love away? Is that, if I was put on trial for being a lover of Jesus, would I be convicted? Or would they dismiss the case with not enough evidence to convict me? Love isn't love until it is given away. So this knowledge, which can only come by faith, has to be expressed in a practical outworking. This is a church where I'm delighted and thrilled to say there are many opportunities to serve. If you say you love Jesus, God bless you. It may, it, you, may be, you may indeed have a very intense, very profound personal faith. I, I, I'm sorry to rock the boat for you, but it ain't enough. As Jesus himself says, even the devil believes in God. It's what we do with the love within us that matters. Faith isn't Love isn't faith until love isn't love until it's given away. Last point, then we're nearly finished. Verse 19 says this. And be filled. And be filled. This is a theme that Paul comes back to again and again. Go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, you many of you have been walking this journey with me for many years. You know pretty much all my stories better than I do. You will know how I was baptized in the Spirit, how Felicity was baptized in the Spirit. You will know that. So occasionally we tell the story again, but you know, I'm not going to do it again now. But the point is, it's not enough that in 1976 I had a powerful encounter with God and was filled with the Holy Spirit. I thank God for it. I value it. I treasure it. But it is not enough because I'm not in 1976 now. We're actually in 2011. And what the Lord, what the Holy Spirit wants to know is, how are you doing today? Are you seeking God's face? And so I say to the Lord, I want to be filled. I want to be filled not just with what I'd like to have, but I want to be filled going right back to the beginning with the fullness of God, with the measure that God measures. Let this be a church, let this vineyard church, let we be a community who, who do not put limits on God, but who are willing to allow God set limits, set the limits. Let, let him, let him, Fill us to his fullness and let him say enough rather than us saying enough. And I know that, uh, you know, I say it to my shame, there have been occasions when I've walked away from opportunities. I've walked away from blessing, almost knowing that because I had something else to do. I, I needed to pop into town just to get something. And so I've walked out on an opportunity in a meeting or, or something or a conversation or a, I, I've rushed my devotions because I'm excited about some thing else I've got happening, I, I, I just, God gets the fag end of me, the leftovers. You know when you go to the fridge on a Monday and you look in the fridge and you're hungry and there's just what got left over from the weekend. It's not enough. And then finally, I'm hoping this isn't sounding like a list of to-dos, this is more an encouragement, an exhortation, but this last passage, and this was the one that really I felt... Last two verses, this was really what I felt the Lord was saying about us and about the present and the future and his plans for us. Uh, and it was really that 
it's God's heart and his intention to revive us. And you've heard that word a little bit this summer, I hope. I know you have, because I've been listening to the talks. But verses 20 and 21 say, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory where? Be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. His glory in the church. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand. Let's have the band back up. Father, I want to say thank you to you for your, your presence and your power. Lord, we ask that you would indeed stir up your spirit within us. We ask, Lord God, that you would fill us by your measure. You would determine when we are full and that we would surrender to that. And we ask, Lord God, that you would work in us and through us to bring glory to Jesus, our Savior, our Lord. And we ask it all in his precious name. Amen.